Thank you. It's a strange coincidence that uh, every time I preach, Aisha reads the word. So that has been done. That ritual is over. So now we'll get into the word of God. It is finished. Tetelestai, that's the word. Tetelestai, a Greek word for it is finished. The word that changed the world. Tetelestai, it is finished. As I was reflecting on Good Friday, I thought of asking some people, what does Good Friday mean? I casually struck some conversation with some people and I got some very interesting responses. Some didn't know, some didn't care, and some had a wrong understanding. But one person had a partially right understanding. What is said to me is that Jesus killed himself on the cross. I thought, can anyone kill himself on the cross? Cross is not the way to suicide. You can't commit suicide on a cross. You have to be murdered. Somebody else or some other people have to commit that crime on you. That option is not there. It is a planned murder. We who have gathered together probably know the meaning of Good Friday. But do we really know the meaning of Good Friday? We'll explore. Two questions that we're going to explore this morning. The first question is, who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? And the second is, what is the meaning of it is finished? So once we have answered to these two questions, we're ready to go out into the world. Who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? I'm asking the question to all of you. Who killed Jesus? Any, any, any answer? Who killed Jesus? All of us? We were not there. Who killed Jesus? Okay. Let me tell you a story. And then you tell me, then I'll ask you a question. A king, please listen to the story very carefully, otherwise you'll miss uh, the punch on it. A king invited some nobles from his court for a meal on his terrace. So he set up his terrace and he called the nobles for a meal. And the meal was being cooked. The kheer was being cooked on the terrace itself. And what was happening was that these guys were sitting there and talking and the kheer was being cooked. And what happened was an eagle picked up a cobra snake and was carrying it flying above. And the cobra was trying to fight back. And while this was going on, some venom fell in the kheer and the kheer became poisonous. This was served to these nobles and all the people died. 
those nobles died. Now you tell me who killed the nobles? Who killed the nobles? Any, any, any answer? Yes. You? Huh? Believers of Jesus? I am asking a different question. Who killed the nobles? Uh, the venom. No, no, venom. But who? Who will be tried in the court? The king? King didn't know. You know, I'll tell you uh, some legal principles. You know, in the law court, how it is tried in, for murder, the legal jurisprudence says that the either the pers some person would have benefited out of the murder or somebody should have derived some pleasure out of it. That person only can be found guilty or pronounced guilty. Either a person who would have benefited out of it or someone who derives pleasure out of it, either out of pleasure or out of benefit. If somebody commits the crime, then only that person can be found guilty. Okay. Now, who killed the nobles? I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you only in the end. So stay tuned. Who killed Jesus? There are many different opinions available. We shall come back to it. It was three o'clock. Jesus wanted water. He could hardly speak. A soldier fixes a sponge on the spear and held it up to his lips. It was terribly bitter, but it was enough. He strained to raise his head and looked up to heaven and said, it is finished. It is finished. He cried and then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Tetelestai, that's the Greek word. Tetelestai, the word that changed the world. Michelangelo, many of you know about Michelangelo, you heard about him. He's famous, he's famous for artistry, architecture, and sculpture. He painted that famous Sistine Chapel ceiling on the Vatican at Rome. He took many years to paint it, and many times he ran away, halfway. Again, he was caught and called by the Pope to finish his painting and finally finished. It's a beautiful painting in the Sistine Chapel in Rome. It depicts the creation till the redemption story. Now, he also um, built the statues of Moses and David. They are very famous and there are many other things which are famous, but there is a vestry in a church in Florence, that's the place he belonged to. The unfinished masterpieces of Michelangelo were gathered together, and by count, he left more works unfinished than finished. Michelangelo's work, many of them were unfinished than finished. The famous Cecil Rhodes, if you know, in 19th century, the diamond mine owner in South Africa, the politician uh, in South Africa, his last words were 
so much to do, so little done. The expression, it is finished, or tetelestai, is something which is understood this way. It is beyond, it is finished. It's almost like it is complete. It's complete. When a servant had completed a, a difficult job and his master had given him to do, he would say to the master, Tetelstai, I have overcome all difficulties. I have done the job to the best of my ability. It is finished. When the Jewish people went to the temple to make sacrifice, the high priest would examine what was brought and most likely he, he was not speaking Greek, but he would use Hebrew equivalent of tetelestai, meaning your offering is accepted, it is perfect. When a merchant at the marketplace made a sale and the money was handed over, he would say tetelestai, the deal is finished, it is complete, the price has been paid in full. I'm satisfied. When an artist would finish a painting or a sculpture, he would stand back and look at it and say, Tetelestai, it is finished. The painting is complete. It could not have been made better. It is complete. When a boy would recite to his father a difficult passage he had learned from the scriptures, he would say, Tetelestai. Well done, my child. I'm proud of you. When Jesus spoke these final words, he wasn't just saying, this is the end for me, as if there's nothing to look forward to. He was not saying to the Satan, you have won and I'm done. He said, Tetelestai, it's complete, it's finished, it's complete. It's finished, it's complete. It's a single word. What does it mean, Tetelestai? or it is complete. He didn't say I'm finished or I have finished. He said it is finished. He had in his mind something of significance that was stated well in the perfect tense in the Greek language, which indicates the mighty act has been achieved and the results would continue the result would abide. As if these words were chiseled in a stone, it is complete. He didn't say it may be finished or it should be finished, but with a shout of triumph, with certainty, he said, it is finished. What is finished? What did the Lord say in the midst of his ministry? He said, the son of man came to give his life as a ransom price for many. If that is the case, 
what was finished? The ransom was paid. Remember, when God said, the Son of Man has come to give his life as a ransom price for many. And that price was paid on the cross. Jesus said, at Cana, my hour has not come. At the very early part of his ministry, he spoke of the time when the bridegroom would be taken away and the disciples would be saddened. Six months before going to the cross, he began to predict them in those passionate sayings. He said that the Son of Man must go up to Jerusalem, must be arrested, must die, and must be raised. When we look at the cross as the only as suffering, we mistake the ministry of Jesus. Some of us fear if we have to wait to go to the dentist next week, right? Or if we wait for a surgical procedure, it hangs in our head. Here was the son of man, the son of God, who lived out his life in ministry, knowing that the moment was coming and all of that was bound up to that final triumphant cry, it is finished. To whom Jesus was saying it is finished? To whom did he cry out that it is complete? Who could imagine that hour when the eternal word of God, the eternal word of God stood from his royal seat and as a glad volunteer would say to the father, I lay down my life, no one takes it from me. Jesus laid down his life. Nobody took it away from him. The word from the father came down to Jordan. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. When was that? Was it not when Jesus laid aside the splendor of the eternal word of God and came down to the manger in Bethlehem to be born and to walk among us? Was it not at the transfiguration that voice thundered again from the heaven to the earth? This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And that son is now echoing back to the father. It is complete. It is finished. The father sends the son with a purpose. And the son is declaring to the father the purpose for which you sent me is complete. It's finished. Tetelestai. It's complete. So let's look at the verses leading to the word, it is finished. Knowing that everything, you know, in, in verse 28 of John chapter 19, I'm reading, knowing that everything has now been finished or now being complete. This is what the word says. Before even Jesus said it formally, it says, knowing that all was now completed. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. So he knew that 
the work that the father had sent him to do is nearing completion. It's complete. And so he says, I'm thirsty. And then he announced, it is finished. With that, he bowed down his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. What is finished? The old things were finished and the new creation would emerge. It's about six o'clock on Good Friday. The world was a completely different place than it had been when everyone woke up that morning. When Jesus said, it is finished, he brought a story as old as the creation story to its completion, to a climax. He completed a dark chapter in the history, full of hopelessness, shame, despair, so that the page could be turned, a new chapter could begin. The story could reach its resolution. John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Both begin with in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 tell us that God created for six days. And then it says on the seventh day he rested. Creation was finished and everything was good. So God took rest. But we don't, we know that this creation did not stay good for long. Man chose to sin and the violence and the shame and the fear and of course the death took over God's good creation. Sin vandalized creation, good creation. Sin destroyed the good creation of God. And therefore in John chapter 1 and verse 14 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us or made his dwelling among us. The living word who was with God, who was God, became a human being. The author of creation and life came to live and move and work in the pages of history. The story he has been writing. And that was Jesus. He came to rescue. He came to redeem. He came to reconcile and restore God's creation to make it good once again. And that is why he came. That is what he said. Let us die. It is finished. That was finished. God put the old creation to death. The world controlled by sin and shame and fear and death was crucified on the cross. A new creation could burst forth. That was finished. And the work of Jesus was completed. And then our story says, he was taken down from the cross and buried just in time for the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. And so Jesus spent the Sabbath 
resting in the grave just as God rested on the seventh day. And when Jesus rose again on Sunday morning, it was the first day of the week, the first day of the new creation. A new creation blooming in this dead old world, a new beginning. That is what we're going to see on Easter Sunday. And that is the theme of our Easter Sunday sermon, a new beginning. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, so then if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of a new creation. Old things have gone away. Look, new things have arrived. So when you belong to Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, when you trust Jesus and you follow Jesus, you are already living in the new creation. The old chapter was closed on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, he closed one chapter of history and a new chapter began. The new creation began. The, the people, the young people, the eight of them who have decided to follow Jesus and tomorrow will witness their baptism. They have decided to be part of this new creation, the new chapter. Jesus wanted to make sure we understand this. The old things were finished on the cross and the new creation is beginning. The new creation is blooming. Easter morning took place in a garden. That symbolizes the Garden of Eden at the beginning. And that's why Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. It was the first day of the new creation. So when Jesus said, it is finished, what he meant was the old things have gone away. And look, new thing has arrived. New chapter has begun. But wait, it doesn't look like that, isn't it? We finished the sermon, beautiful, new chapter has begun. You go out into the world, the same old chapter is still there, right? Still there is sin, still there is suffering, still there is fear, shame. Our world is still vandalized by violence, death and despair and decay. You see it everywhere. How is it? that one chapter is closed and the new chapter has begun. You know, the problem with which we have created is that we have reduced salvation experience to a formula. You accept Christ, you become a new creation. Now next, you accept Christ, you become a new creation. Thing is, I want you to know that that is not what it is all about. God is inviting you to a new story that he's writing. You would become part of this new creation that God is making. 
even though you live in this world of decay and violence and destruction, you are part of that new creation. That is what God is doing. That is what Jesus did on the cross by closing one chapter, opening a new chapter, a redeemed community that God is building and is inviting you to be part of that redeeming community. The story that found its climax on the cross and the resurrection of Christ, a story where it looks like sin and shame and death have won, but God says, no, they don't win. You know, this is what I love, this phrase. Listen very carefully. When superficially it looked like the evil was overcoming good. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, it looked like evil has finally won. Evil has overcome good. What was happening, you know? Actually, good was overcoming evil. When it looked like everything is lost, actually everything was gained. That is the power of crucifixion. That is the power of the cross. When superficially, it appeared that Evil was overcoming good. In reality, good was overcoming evil. Think about it when you go back. That is what was happening. Good Friday is the part of the story that tells you the world you see around you, the one that is violated by sin and shame and fear and vandalized by death and decay has already been finished on the cross. We are part of a new redeemed community. So yes, there is still sin in the world. There is fear, there is shame, there is death, there is decay. You will experience it all. But you are a new creation in the garden of God. Watered by Jesus, his blood that flowed from his side. He shares his own life with you now. And therefore, you have that hope and you have the presence of God in your life. And God is making you grow up through that cold, dead world. You are rejuvenated. I am rejuvenated because I belong to the new creation. Okay, let me go back to the story that we started with. Who killed the nobleman? Now what happened? There are a few, there are about four or five people who wanted to meet the king. So they come and there was a lady sitting there selling some vegetables on the pavement and they ask this lady, where is the how to go to the king's palace, which is the road. He said, oh, to the king's palace. Yeah, yeah, you go straight and then take a left and, you know, you'll find the palace. But be careful. You know, he has a reputation of killing nobles. The judge said, arrest this lady for murder. She's the one who has killed the nobles. 
You know why? Because the jurisprudence, what does it say? Legal, legal jurisprudence? A person would have benefited or would have derived pleasure. This lady actually derived pleasure out of the killing and she should be held for murdering these nobles. Who killed Jesus? The people who would be benefit out of his death and the people or the people who derive pleasure out of it. Brothers and sisters, each of us benefited out of the death of Jesus. That's why pastor said, I. He died for each and every one of us. And there are people who are relishing his death, who are standing there around the cross. Brothers and sisters, it is your sin and it is my sin which put Jesus on the cross. Remember that. It's you and I. For your and my sake, Jesus hung on the cross. Near the beginning of his gospel, John tells us the light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. Good Friday wasn't very good to the people who lived through it. It looked like darkness has swallowed up light as Jesus died. But Easter Sunday is round the corner when the light would shine again. What is good about Good Friday? Easter makes a Friday a Good Friday. Jesus also conquered death. God promised an Easter which is coming. As we await it, we all live through our own Good Fridays. We have our own challenges. It looks like the darkness has extinguished the light. In those days, remember and remind each other that when Jesus said, Tetelestai, it's complete, he closed one chapter. A chapter of suffering, a chapter of violence, a chapter of death. And a new chapter began. And we are part of this redeemed community of new creation. It is finished. The old things have gone away. And look, lo and behold, new things have arrived. It is finished. God is making all things new. Will you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we as part of this 